All right. Well, in our time together today, we are going to start into what is a, a fairly short set of slides here, but with some very important concepts for us here in the domain of what I've just chosen to call fundamentals of enterprise information systems. And, and I start off in our discussion here with, I, I think, a very important question, which is, what is an enterprise information system? Now, as a point of fact, you have been working with an enterprise information system in lab all throughout this semester. Uh, many of you are pursuing a degree in information systems, but yet when it comes to actually being able to give a good definition for what an enterprise information system is, you really might not be able to, to put one of those together. And so uh, let me give you a, a working definition that we can, we can talk about here. Uh, an enterprise information system, first of all, is focused on storing, managing, and sharing And what are my next two words going to be here? Information is one of the two words. Good. What's the other two word? It comes before information. What kind of information? Enterprise is not a bad word, but it kind of, you know, it's kind of repeating the question in itself. What kind of information? And I'm not looking for like happy or fun, you know. Relevant, that's a good word, but that's kind of implied in calling it information. What kind of information? And I give you an enterprise wasn't a bad answer, but it's not a great answer given that it's embedded in the question. Business, company business, focused on, on storing, managing, and sharing business information. And this kind of harkens back to our, our first discussion in this class that to be a professional, working with enterprise information systems, you have to know a little bit about business. You have to understand the business context. You have to understand business processes because the whole point of this is you have a computer system that's going to be capturing information, managing information, and sharing information, but not just information in general, information in a, a business context. Why do we do this if we continue our definition here focused on storing, managing, and sharing and business information to achieve? What are we trying to achieve with an enterprise information system? What's that? Business goals is not a bad answer at all. It's not what, it's not what I was thinking of, but it's, it's definitely a good answer. What are we trying to think about your experience with ERP SIM and think about what we have been uh, doing here? And I'll go ahead and spot you the word business. To achieve business, what are we trying to accomplish? Efficiency is not a bad word. Um, what else? Success, we always want success. That's not a bad word. Make good decisions is absolutely the right idea. And as a matter of fact, it may wind up being, it'll definitely be part of our discussion today. 
But the big thing that we look for an enterprise information system to give us, and it should give us everything you guys just said. So all of the answers you gave were good. But really, the fundamental thing we are looking for is for it to give us business integration. And when I'm talking about business integration, it's the idea that we're all on the same playbook, we're all on the same page, we all have the same information, it's accurate information, and we all know what's going on in other parts of our organization because everything is integrated into one system. And the reason why that's important is we could have a variety of different software tools that help us achieve success or that help us make decisions. And so a lot of the answers that you gave were good, but they weren't particular to what we're looking for an enterprise information system to do for us, which is an enterprise information system is all about achieving business integration. So to achieve business integration, and the next part really just extends that throughout the entire organization. So we are looking for a tool, or perhaps a suite of integrated tools, that allow us to capture and store information, manage that information, and share it throughout our entire organization. That's the role of an enterprise information system. Focus on storing, managing, and sharing business information to achieve business integration throughout the entire organization. Um, that's what we're looking for. Now, to amplify that a little bit, and, and I talked about this in one of our lab discussions one day when we were talking about, about data modeling, enterprise information systems are inherently very transaction-focused. Now, what do I mean when I say transaction focus? I'm not talking about when you go into the SAP ERP system and you type, you know, um, MD01. That's not the kind of transaction I'm talking about. In this context, when I talk about transactions, I'm talking about those things that I need to do in my business. Take an order from a customer, ship items out to customers, take uh, inventory of a particular product, record a customer payment coming in, write a check to a vendor to pay for something that we owe them. So an enterprise information system is very transaction focused. And in fact, this is a class of computer system that we describe as an OLTP system. And OLTP simply stands for Online Transaction Processing. And I know I mentioned this in lab previously, but I'll reiterate it here. When I say online in this situation, I'm not talking about like it being on the internet. What I'm talking about is it happens in real time. The predecessor to online transaction processing would have been batch transaction processing. And in batch transaction processing, we accumulated a whole bunch of transactions, often on technology that is very dated at this point, such as punch cards. And then we ran all those punch cards through our computer in one batch at the end of the day. Well, 
enterprise information systems did away with that. You know, and let's back up for just a second. I'm sure all of you have at least seen pictures of a computer punch card, although I'm quite sure as well that none of you have ever worked with a punch card system. With the way that punch cards used to work, if a customer would call in and say, I would like to place an order, we would actually key that order onto punch cards. And so a given customer order might, might take up one punch card or three or four punch cards, but all the a given order would be punched onto punch cards, and then they would just be accumulated over the course of the day. And so at the end of the day, we might have a, a two-inch stack or a six-inch stack or a 12-inch stack of customer orders, and someone would run a program on the computer and then go over and feed those punch cards into the system, and the system would take in those orders and prepare various reports and, and do the rest of the processing associated with it. That was a batch processing system, and that was where business computing got its start. But we don't do that anymore. Now we process transactions as they come in in real time, which is why we refer to this as an online transaction processing system. So everything in, in, this, in this set of of technology that we are using here is focused on a company being able to do what they need to do and execute their business processes. And if you talk to anyone who works in a company that uses an enterprise information system and they, they tell you, you know, if that system goes down, oftentimes you, you can't do your job. You, you can't do work because everything that you do is in some way touched by or aided by or a result of something the computer tells you to do in order to accomplish the business processes of your company. So this is what an enterprise information system is in general. Anytime we have a piece of software coupled with related hardware that allows us to store, manage, and share business information to achieve business integration, we're talking about an enterprise information system. So a database system could be an example of an enterprise information system depending upon how we're using it. There are a wide array of different kinds of software programs that would fall into this class of, of software. The particular tool that we have been working with this semester though is an ERP tool where ERP stands for Enterprise Resource Planning. Well, well what is that? I'll give you a definition of that in a moment, but let's just focus on the term itself for a moment. Enterprise resource planning kind of tells you what it is right in the term itself. Um, the focus is on planning, and, and what are we planning? We're planning all of our enterprise resources. So an enterprise resource planning tool gives us a way of planning and managing the resources that are contained within our organization. Let me give you a more formal definition, and I happen to like this when it comes from a publication by Wallace and Kremsar, uh, ERP Making It Happen, where they give this definition of enterprise resource planning. They say it is an enterprise-wide set of management tools. So I, I've kind of highlighted some key words in this definition. Enterprise-wide harkens back to what we were just talking about on the last slide. It's something that touches our entire organization. It's widely distributed. It's not something that's used in just one part of the organization. It's enterprise-wide, and it's a set of tools. 
it's not just one thing that does one thing. If we think of the analogy of a toolbox, it's not like it's a big hammer. It's a hammer, it's a screwdriver, it's a wrench, it's a pair of pliers, it's every possible tool you can think of because it gives you a wide array of functionality that you're going to need in your organization. So it's an entire set of tools, enterprise-wide set of management tools, providing the ability to link suppliers and customers into a complete chain. So not only now are we thinking in terms of this being enterprise-wide, meaning throughout our entire company, but we're also looking at this as a way to link our company with our suppliers and our customers. I really like to reflect on Walmart occasionally and think about the fact that Walmart stores, which we are all familiar with, could not exist if we didn't have computers. You know, think about it. Imagine if you lived in a world where Walmart existed, but there was no computers, and your job uh, was to manage the inventory in the Walmart store. And the store manager came to you and said, your job is to make sure we never run out of anything. But by the same token, I don't want like a mountain of Pop-Tarts, you know, on aisle 13. So make sure we never run out, but we don't want to have way too much of stuff either. Could you even do that job without a computer? You know, I don't think so. First of all, you'd have to have a team of people. But even if you had a team of, I don't know, 10 people in a typical Walmart store, I still don't think you could do it because you'd have to continuously be walking up and down the aisles and checking to see what's not there that used to be there. And then once you figured that out, you'd have to place an order with a supplier. It would be very, very time consuming, very, very inefficient for sure. Well, what Walmart does is their inventory is tied to their cash registers. And whenever you check out, they scan your merchandise. Partly they do that to make sure that you get charged the right amount for your purchases, but partly they do it to keep track of inventory. And they know, okay, we started today with 10 boxes of blueberry Pop-Tarts, and we've sold eight of them. We need to order more blueberry Pop-Tarts. And so this gives them a way to automate their, their, um, their inventory processes. Well, the other thing that Walmart can do is Walmart knows, okay, we need more blueberry Pop-Tarts. All of the Walmart stores communicate that information back to their central distribution center. And the distribution center might say, blueberry Pop-Tarts, we got 25 cases of it. We're good. We can send those out to the store. But chocolate Pop-Tarts, oh, we're running low on them. We need to order them from our supplier. And they can do that automatically without a human being ever getting involved in that, the computer just checks inventory, sees that they're running low on an item, and automatically transmits that order to a supplier. And so things can happen very, very quickly and efficiently because we now can extend our computational automation beyond the bounds of just our company to also incorporate communication with our suppliers and communication with our customers. You place an order with Amazon on their website and I'm always amazed that I can place an order at 1 p.m. and by 3 p.m. oftentimes I get an email saying that it's shipped and giving me the tracking number. How could that possibly have happened that quick? 
Well, it's because as soon as I keyed in my order and put in my credit card and, and hit save, they immediately started working on it. It happened virtually instantaneously because they're taking their relationship with their customer and trying to make it as efficient as they possibly can because they know customers want their stuff very, very quickly. So an enterprise-wide set of management tools providing the ability to link suppliers and customers into a complete chain, employing proven business processes. What is a business process? We gave you a definition of that in a, in a previous discussion, but just to refresh our memory here, a business process is a, a sequence of activities that we do in a business that those activities happen in different functional areas, which is why we need an enterprise information system to help us do this. And the outcome of the sequence of activities is going to be something that is useful in the context of our organization. So we have a process for fulfilling customer orders. We have a process for hiring new employees. We have a process for doing payroll. We have a whole enormous set of processes that cumulatively describe how we operate as a business. Well, when you buy an enterprise resource planning tool, you are buying a company's take on how you should run your business. So an enterprise resource planning tool will, out of, its out of the box, have a set of proven business processes. Now, in your organization, you can say, we're going to do this exactly like our software is set up by default to let us do things, or we can change things, and we can adjust the software to support the way that we want to do business. Let me give you an example of this. Your ERP SIM companies are engaged in a strategy called make to stock. I think there was a question about that on your midterm exam. A make to stock company produces merchandise and puts it in a warehouse and then sells out of that inventory. So if a customer comes to you and says, I want 10,000 boxes of blueberry muesli and you don't have it, your company rejects that order. That's the way a make-to-stock company works. Well, suppose you were to say, we don't want to operate that way. We want to operate where if the customer comes to us with an order, even if we don't have it, we'll go ahead and take the customer order. Now, depending upon how we want to handle this in our organization, this could result in some customer frustration. You know, have you ever had this happen where you go, uh, I've had this happen a lot online, where I'll go online and I'll order a product from a company, and then like two days later I get an email saying we're out of stock of that item and it'll be a couple of weeks before they have it to you. You know, whenever I have that happen to me, I, I don't respond favorably to that because if I ordered something like everyone else, I want it really, really quickly. Well, your company right now is set up to operate as a make-to-stock company, Suppose you didn't want to operate that way. You have the ability to do what is called configuration, and you can change the way the software works to match your desired business processes. But the software tool that you buy is going to come with a default set of business processes that you can then configure to the way you want to run your company. 
a few years ago on an exam, I asked a student um, a question kind of similar to this. And there was a question, you know, what is an enterprise resource planning uh, software tool? And they had to, you know, answer in a sentence or two. And one of the students said, um, it's software for making muesli. Well, no. Um, I had another student say, it's software for simulating business. No. You know, you have to understand that what we do in lab, you're running a virtual muesli company, but that's not all the software does. The software, in fact, can be used to run any kind of business, whether we're talking a manufacturing business or a service organization, a doctor's office could run an ERP system. The kinds of suppliers they deal with and the kinds of customers they deal with and the business processes are different, but we can use a computer program to help with that. And so anytime we are talking about a computer program that has been developed to help us run and execute our business processes, we're talking about an ERP system. Supporting effective decision-making. Uh, a few minutes ago when we were talking about an enterprise information system, someone interjected this idea, which is a really great observation. Supporting effective decision-making, really, right now, I'm going to put a couple of stars next to this. This is where businesses are really focusing today. And I'm, I'm kind of getting a little bit ahead of myself in our storytelling here because I haven't finished the definition. But enterprise resource planning tools have been out for a while. If we go to General Motors and say, hey, have you ever heard of enterprise resource planning? They would say, well, yeah, we've been running that for the past three decades. If we go over to Eastman Chemical or Oak Ridge National Laboratories or Y12 or the University of Tennessee or a huge number of other companies in this region and around the world, they would say, yeah, we know all about enterprise resource planning. We've been using it for a long, long time. And we use it to gather information. We use it to, all, to do all of these different things in our company. And, we, and if we were then to say, okay, well, what's the big thing that you're working on right now? You know, what do you think you could do better in your company? I guarantee you every one of them would point to this right here. They would say something to the effect of, we have all of this information, but we're trying to figure out how to use it to make better decisions in our company. And it's the exact same challenge that you guys face when you're playing ERP Sim. I gave you, and now I guess we've done this a couple of times, a data warehouse that has all of the information about your company's operations in it. I mean, that's a pretty sizable data warehouse. I don't know if you've looked at all the tables and looked at all the queries. You've got a pretty big set of information there. And that's for one company in the context of a simulation game we play for about an hour a week. What do you think that data set would look like if we went over to Eastman Chemical? And they said, here's information for one week of the operations of our company. First of all, I don't think it would fit into an access file. I think we would go far beyond what that software would be capable of working with. They have a huge set of information. But now the question is, imagine that just like I have done with you with ERP SIM, they handed you that mountain of information and said, tell us something we could do better 
based on your analysis of this information. Now, first of all, if we think about it, if we really understood all of that information, and I mean really understood it, would we find some things that they could do better as a company? I think every company out there would say yes in answer to that question. Because no company out there that I've ever run into says, we're perfect, we always make the best decisions, we never make mistakes, we don't have anything to learn. Every company out there readily admits that they could do a better job. They also readily admit they have a lot of information on hand that they could use to try and help them do a better job. But then figuring out what to do is a whole different ball game. And so it's like when I give you that data warehouse and ask you to build a graph of something, you know, to this point I've asked you some very, very simple questions. In the last lab sequence I asked you a much harder question. A and some of you gave me a pretty good answer and some of you didn't. I I'm going to back up a slide here and talk about this for a second because I think it ties into this overall discussion. The last question that you were asked for your lab work was something to the effect of, did we ever run out of a flavor of muesli? And if so, what impact did that have on our sales? Now to answer that question, you really actually have two questions in one there. One of the questions that you have there is, did we ever run out of muesli? And so one way that you could have approached that would have been by creating a line graph and let's say this is for blueberry muesli. And so you created a chart perhaps that showed something like this. That showed your inventory of blueberry over time. Now I did run into I think one team that actually had never run out. They managed their inventory so well that they never ran out of a, a given flavor, at least in the quarter that, that they chose to create a chart for. But pretty much all the other teams had time periods when they ran out of the product. Well, the question I was asking you was, did that have any impact on our sales? Because what we might have observed was this. Here's a bar graph of blueberry muesli sales. And blueberry muesli sales look like this. Which is to say, we were selling, let's assume this is like 10,000 boxes a day. We were selling 10,000 boxes a day and then we ran out. And so our customers had to go buy stuff elsewhere. And so we went all of these days where we could have been selling 10,000 boxes every day. I wish this would quit asking me this. Um, where we, we lost these sales. And then we got stuff back in stock. And lo and behold, our customers came back and started buying from us again. And then we ran out again. And then that time when we ran out, we lost those sales and it took a little while for our customers to come back. Eventually they did and things were good again and then we ran out again. So all of this space in here represents lost sales. Because if we had blueberry muesli, those would have been sales we would have made. Now that kind of observation can lead you to say, we need to do a better job making sure we never run out of blueberry muesli. Because if we run out of blueberry muesli, we're getting killed. 
Now, you might have had another flavor of muesli that, you know, maybe you had inventory and you ran out for a little while and then you built your inventory back up. And if we were to look at sales, we would discover that, you know, you were selling like this much and this much. And then, and then um, when you ran out, of course, it fell off. But then after you got back in, it picked back up again. And, and so your running out impacted your sales, but clearly not to the magnitude of what we're seeing over here on the left with, with Blueberry. So you could make the case running out of Blueberry, or more specifically, not running out of Blueberry is really important. You go to McDonald's one afternoon, and you walk in, and you walk up the counter and said, I'd, I'd like a hamburger. And they say, sorry, we're out of hamburgers. Doesn't work real well if you're McDonald's, right? I mean, if you go in and say, I'd like a fish sandwich, and they say, sorry, our, you know, we're, we're out of filet of fish today. Well, that's okay, right? But for a McDonald's to run out of hamburgers, is going to have a rather drastic impact on their sales because that's mainly what they sell. Well, what companies need to do and what companies want to do is over time, they really want to learn more about their customers, about their business operations, so that they can make really good decisions. Imagine you're trying to manage production for your company and you're running low on a lot of stuff and you're the one who's going to make the decision about what we queue up to manufacture next. Well, if we were to go back to the diagram we were looking at just a moment ago, if you understood what was happening there, you'd probably say blueberry is what we need to make next because that's the one that if we run out of, it's really going to hurt our relationship with our customers. So let's key up blueberry and let's make a good amount of that and then we'll worry about the other different flavors. There's all kinds of decisions like that that get made in the hundreds in businesses on a daily basis. Now we can make those decisions just by guessing or we can make those decisions based on understanding. And understanding comes from using the information that we have collected to be able to to make better decisions. There's a term that goes with this, and I'm guessing you've all heard this term before. I love the metaphor that goes with it, data mining. And whenever I hear the word data mining, I always envision like a miner with one of those hard hats on that you know has like the flashlight built in, standing there with a pickaxe. And I always imagine somebody you know, like crawling in the ground and using the pickaxe to try and dig out some gold or diamonds or something like that. Well, that's what we've got going on in our organization. We have a mountain of data and we have some technology-focused people with the metaphorical equivalent of a hard hat and a pickaxe that are trying to dig through that information and try and make sense of it. One of the most interesting jobs on the market right now that, that looks like I misspelled that. Did I miss, is that spelled right? Okay. Scientist just looks like I spelled it wrong for some reason. Data scientist, huge job. For you that are graduating in the next few years and going off and to start your business career, this is one of the huge jobs probably for the next decade and beyond. Companies looking for people that understand business, understand data manipulation, and in the case of a data scientist is is particularly good at math and statistics. 
which is why I usually encourage our students, uh, don't be afraid of math classes. Take as much math as you possibly can because that's going to prepare you well for the future. Someone that can go in and apply statistical techniques and do data analysis to help these companies make these better decisions, huge area of emphasis right now with some pretty huge paychecks to go along with it. And it's all focused on this idea of supporting effective decision making. Well, let's continue our definition here. Enterprise-wide set of management tools providing the ability to link suppliers and customers into a complete chain, employing proven business processes, supporting effective decision making, and providing high cross-functional integration among sales, marketing, manufacturing, operations, logistics, purchasing, finance, human resource. Basically, that's a list of several of the more common functional areas. And so uh, that really could just say providing high cross-functional integration among all of our functional areas. Because the idea here is, as we have observed previously, business processes cut across functional areas. Somebody that works in manufacturing needs a new employee. Well, to do that, they have to work through human resources. Someone who works in manufacturing needs more raw materials. They have to work through purchasing to get those materials acquired. Someone that works in logistics needs to know who to ship orders out to. And that information comes to them from the salespeople who make the sales. And so this high cross-functional integration is a key facet of the system. And then here's the where we get to the bottom line. Enabling people to run their businesses with high levels of customer service and productivity, and I'm going to give you the last part too, while simultaneously lowering costs and in inventory. Enabling people to run their businesses with high levels of customer service and productivity while simultaneously lowering costs and in inventories. The really interesting thing about technology and business is that it often affords us a way to improve customer service while at the same time lowering our costs. Most of the time in business, you would assume the, the decision goes something like this. We could do X for our customers, but it would cost us money to do that, and, and so we're not going to do that. You know, Amazon could ship out all of their orders via overnight shipping. But that would be expensive to do, and so they don't do that. They allow customers to elect overnight shipping and pay more for it. But generally speaking, when you want better service, it carries with it a higher cost. The interesting thing about technology, though, is sometimes we can deliver better service and lower our costs. And the best example I can give you of that that all of you would relate to would be UPS and their package tracking. It used to be in the early days of UPS that they had tracking numbers that they would put on packages, but thinking back to the era even before email was very common, you might place an order with a company maybe by calling them on the phone and saying, I would like you to ship me such and such a product, and they would take your order and almost inevitably, because of the technology they were using, they couldn't give you a tracking number right then. 
And so you'd call them on Monday and give them your order. And then Wednesday, you'd call them back and say, um, I'd like to find out, has my order shipped? And if so, do you have a tracking number? And a lot of times they'd say, no, it hasn't shipped yet. Call us back tomorrow. So immediately what's happening is now you had a customer had to call you one time to place the order, and now they're having to call back maybe a second and a third time to get the tracking number. And then you get to the point where you can give them the tracking number, and they write it down. And you've seen tracking numbers nine times out of ten. Well, maybe that's not fair, but um, we'll say five times out of a thousand people write down the number wrong and so they wind up having to call you back and saying can you give me that number again but then once you got that number what could you do with it then you had to pick up the phone and call UPS and say yes I'd like to track a package and you would tell the human on the other end of the phone line here's my tracking number and they'd key that into the computer and they'd say oh that's in Dallas and according to our system you'll have it on Monday afternoon and so now you've got your tracking information. Well, what UPS was able to do was they were able to take their tracking system and move it to their website. So that now when you get a tracking number, you can go to the UPS website, type that tracking number in, click a button, and see the whole history of the delivery of that particular product. Now in that situation, what was UPS able to do? First of all, they gave you better customer service. Because now you don't have to pick up the phone and call somebody to find out the tracking information. And you could track it if you wanted to now, 8 o'clock in the morning, and then check on it again after lunch, and then check on it before you went to bed if you were you know, that uh, inclined to keep tabs on your shipment. But you could check it any old time you wanted to. You could get the complete history. And UPS doesn't have to pay a person to answer the phone to give you that information. So on the one hand, it's unfortunate for the people who lost their jobs where their job was focused on answering the phone and giving people tracking information. Hopefully, UPS was able to move them to other functions in the organization. But UPS was able to improve customer service and cut costs at the same time through the use of technology. That's what we're looking for an ERP system to do. Lowering costs and lowering inventories. Now, once again, this goes back to ERP SIM. There is an inventory level that you never, ever want to see, and that's zero. The reading that I had you do at the beginning of the semester, so many students overlook this, but it was in the reading that told you about the game. It told you something like this. Customers will come to you with an order. And maybe a customer comes to you and says, I want 5,000 boxes of blueberry muesli, and 2,000 boxes of strawberry muesli and 1,000 boxes of mixed. If you cannot fulfill any part of their, off, of their order, they take it to another company. So if you have blueberry and strawberry muesli but you're out of mixed, you're out of luck. You're not getting this customer's order. Therefore, running out of a product has impact beyond just not selling that particular product. You never ever want to run out. But by the same virtue, you never want to have an overabundance. You don't want to have 5,000, or excuse me, 500,000 boxes of blueberry muesli because maybe nobody wants that and now you've invested money developing something that 
that, that nobody is interested in. So what companies want to do in the real world, just like you want to do an ERP SIM, is we always want to have sufficient inventory, but we don't want to have excess inventory, and we never want to hit zero. Very, very hard to actually accomplish, as you have seen firsthand, but something companies want their ERP systems to do for them. So this particular chart, which came from a publication, Enterprise Architecture as a Strategy, kind of explains to us how this has evolved in IT. In the early days of information technology, we saw what we talked about in a previous discussion, which was we had business silos. We had silos of information where different functional areas had local applications that helped them in their functional area. The salespeople had their software, the warehouse people had their software, and, and none of it communicated with one another. The applications were defined by the business people who worked in those functional areas. The business objective was just to help things out in their individual functional area. And so we were trying to optimize things within our single functional area. We wanted the warehouse to run as good as it could. We wanted salespeople to be as effective as they could. And so that's what we saw in the early days of information technology. Well then, companies transitioned to the next era, which is that's no good. Let's break down these silos and let's work to try and standardize our technology. And so we move to a shared technical platform. And so in doing that, we were able to reduce our IT cost and business leaders and IT professionals work collaboratively to define the application and what it should do and how it should work. And what we were really trying to do here is achieve information technology efficiency. And so a lot of companies went through this era well over a decade ago and then now moved to this era right here, which is now what we see with the ERP system where we have standardized processes and it's all company-wide. So we're all on the same page. We all are executing the same business processes. And what we're trying to achieve here is business and operational efficiency. And senior managers work together with process leaders to try and define what we need to have happen in our organization. And what we're trying to do here is we're trying to lower cost and improve the quality of our business overall. A lot of companies are still in this era right here. And they're still trying to get that locked in and they're still trying to get that operating effectively. Where we see kind of the future here and what a lot of companies are working at right now is this business modularity, which is the idea of now that we know how to do these things, now we want to try and figure out how to be strategically agile and how when we want to change the way we do things to better adapt to our customers, we want to be able to do that. We want to be able to bring new products to market quickly. 
We want to be able to do new things. We want to be able to roll out mobile apps to support customer activities in a matter of weeks, not in a matter of years. And so you have IT business and industry leaders that are trying to figure out how we can actually do that. Once companies have achieved that, then the last domain here that very, very few companies find themselves in right now is let's figure out a way to make this work not only in our organization but with our partner companies. When Walmart selects a supplier to sell to them, they get very, very intimate with that supplier. They go and tour the supplier's facilities. They point out to the supplier things that they're doing badly that they need to do better at. And basically, Walmart operates just like they're one of the owners of that company. And they see that as part of their responsibility because they're going to be partnering with this company and selling their products in their stores. And so this idea of merging our operations with those of our partners to the point where you can't tell where Walmart stops and this other company starts because they're so enmeshed with one another, that's this idea of dynamic venturing. And organic reconfiguration. We can select a new supplier today, and in a matter of two weeks, we can have their systems and our systems talking together, and we can be exchanging information, and we can be looking at this from the perspective of doing new and interesting things together that other companies can't because they lack the technology infrastructure. These last two things are where companies are trying to get. Most companies are in the optimized core phase right now, and they're getting that locked in, and they're trying to move further this direction. Walmart is an example of a company that would put themselves in the dynamic venturing phase. Questions or comments about this? There's a lot of really interesting things in this table right here, and so I would encourage you in your uh, studies and reflection really to, to go through that and, and look for um, interesting elements. Comments or questions though while we're here? All right, we've talked about this, so let's go to this right here. This is what we're trying to solve. In the old days, before we had ERP, before we had enterprise information systems, salesperson goes out, they get an order from the customer, and they put it on paper. And then that paper goes and sits in somebody's inbox, and so we have a delay. And then it gets delivered to someone else, so there's a delay. The warehouse prepares the shipment. They send the shipment. There's paperwork they create to go with that. And so there's a delay while this happens. They then send that paperwork to the accounting department, and the accounting department prepares the invoice and, and does all the things associated with that, and there's a delay. So from the time we got this order in until the time we shipped it out, you know, that could be a week. And then once we send out the shipment, it could be another week before we get the invoice sent out. And then after that, it could be another 30 days before we get customer payment. Well, what companies want to do is they want to do what's called reduce cycle time. What I want to have happen is this. I want my salesperson to take an order this morning at 8, 10 a.m., and I want my warehouse people to start working on it and have the shipment go out by 9 a.m. And I want the invoice sitting in their accounts payable email inbox by 9.30 a.m. 
I want to do all of this as quick as I can. Now, why do I want to do all of this as quick as I can? So I could work on something else? That's not a bad answer. But there's an even better answer out there. Make more sales, which gets at the right best answer. What's the most exciting part of this process for me? Getting money. I want to get the money as quick as I possibly can. So if I get an order from a customer at 8, 10 a.m. and I send them the bill at 9.30 a.m., that's going to get me the money a lot quicker than if there's a two-week delay between when I, get the, when I get the order and when I send it out. So companies these days are optimized around anything that we do that results in money coming into our organization. We want to do that as quick as we possibly can. You know, Amazon wants to fulfill your order as quick as they possibly can because usually they don't charge your credit card until they actually ship the item. And so if, if you place an order with them and it takes them two or three weeks to actually fulfill it, that's two or three weeks they did not have the benefit of having your money. And that's also two or three weeks' time where you could log back in and perhaps cancel the order. So everything we do in business, we want to do as efficiently as possible because one way or the other, it all cycles back to money. We want to get the money from the customer as soon as we possibly can, and we want to do everything in between as efficiently as we possibly can so as to reduce our overall expenses. And so what we have here with an enterprise information system is the salesperson receives the customer order and it immediately goes into the system. You know, the old days used to be a salesperson would meet with a customer and talk to them about ordering whatever it is that our company sells. And, and the old days, if we go back, you know, really, really far, the order would be written out on paper and the customer would sign it or the customer would give us a purchase order. And then the salesperson would go home at the end of the day with hopefully a big stack of orders that he or she had gotten, and they would transmit those back to the home office. You know, maybe they would fax the paper in, or maybe they would key it into a computer system, but that was happening once a day at the end of the day. Well, then companies got a little bit more sophisticated, and they gave their salespeople laptops. And usually they gave their salespeople laptops with, like, Wi-Fi or even with the ability to network via a cell phone. And so then we had this whole era where salespeople would go in, and they'd talk with a customer, and they'd write down the customer order, and then they'd go back to their car or van or whatever have you, and then key the order in before they went and made their next sales call. Or they'd like, you see this a lot, so go to Panera Bread and type it in and do their housekeeping before they went to the next order. Well, now companies have moved to, well, let's forget that. Let's give the salespeople iPads. And the salespeople carry the iPads into the sales call with them. And as the customer is saying, I want this and I want this, they're keying it right into the iPad. And at the end of that, when they ask the customer to sign off on their order, they just turn the iPad screen and hand them a stylus so that they can sign. And they walk out of the customer's office with the order already in the system. So the virtue of that is literally by the time they're getting back in their car, the order has gone into our enterprise information system, and the warehouse is working on it. 
And it could well be that we run a truck to that customer every day or every other day. So it could well be that the salesperson collected the order at 9 o'clock that morning, and by 2 or 3 o'clock that afternoon, the customer's actually getting the item. There are a lot of companies right now that work on that very, very short cycle time, where literally you place the order and you get same-day delivery. We don't see that too much in the consumer ordering market, but you've heard of it, I guarantee you, because what's Amazon experimenting with now? What's that? The dash button would be an example of that, but I'm thinking more about fulfillment. The drones, you know, that's one of these things where is this real or is it a joke? But Amazon really is trying to figure out a way, can they deliver customer orders by way of drone? So imagine you order a book or a DVD or whatever on Amazon, you click the button, and 20 minutes later there's a drone landing on your porch dropping it off to you. Now, why would you want that to happen? Well, first of all, Amazon figures that if they can get things to you that quickly, you'll order more stuff. They also realize that if they can fulfill orders that quickly, they can take more orders and ship more stuff out, and it's potentially good for them. Now, the drones is still, at least here in the United States, still kind of in the science fiction era. It's my understanding that I think it's in Australia. They've done a lot more experimenting than they have in the United States with those. But drones may never actually happen. Who knows? But what Amazon is doing in larger cities, we don't have it here in Johnson City and probably never will, but if you live in New York and other big cities, they have bicycle messengers and trucks that do same-day delivery of your merchandise. So you literally could do what I just said. You could order a DVD at 8 o'clock and the bicycle messenger be ringing your doorbell at 10 o'clock that morning with the item in hand to give it to you. Why do they want to do that? They want to make this as quick as they possibly can. We can do that thanks to the technology here, where literally the order comes in, and in a matter of seconds, we start acting on that order. Amazon does some really, really cool things in their warehouse as well. Um, I have a video I won't show you now. Maybe when we talk more about fulfillment, I'll show you this. But it used to be in the olden days that Amazon did picking the way everybody else does picking in their warehouse, which as you can imagine, the warehouse is like a big old store, and they have people that basically take your order and walk up and down the aisles and accumulate it in a basket that then gets shipped to you. Amazon doesn't do that now in their highly automated warehouses. Now the workers stand in one place and the shelves come to them by way of robots. And they just stand there and it's like, imagine if you went to the grocery store and you just walked in and like the milk came to you and then the cereal came to you and you could just stand there and take it off the shelf. That's the way the Amazon warehouses work now. It's highly automated and it's all based on they take the order in, they process it, they parcel it out, and, and in a matter of minutes, they've got it boxed up and ready to go out to the customer. Because it's all about let's get the money as quick as we possibly can and let's move on to this. I, I saw something, uh, or I heard a statistic the other day, and I have no idea whether or not this is, is true or not. But the statistic was that Amazon, every minute, they're taking in over 25,000 25, orders. 
in a minute. I mean, you can just imagine the sales volume associated with that. They've got to get this stuff out quickly. Otherwise, you know, it's all just going to explode and they're not going to be able to fulfill orders. So enterprise information systems give us a way to manage this. In your reading, you, you read about this. Um, enterprise information systems also give us three very important flows, things that we can manage with our enterprise information system. Let's down, sit down here at the, at the bottom. Physical flow is the flow of stuff. You know, if we're Amazon, it's the books and the DVDs and the whatever else an Amazon sells. If we're Eastman Chemical, it's the barrels of chemical. If we're, um, you know, a manufacturing company that makes electronics, it's DVD players and Blu-ray players and PS4s and whatever have you. The physical flow is the flow of stuff as it moves from point A to point B to point C to point D and ultimately into the hands of our customer. Managing the logistics of the physical flow is not at all trivial. You know, one of the biggest users of ERP software around the world is probably a type of organization that you would not have thought of, and that's the military. The military runs SAP ERP. Now, you might say, why in the world do they do that? Because they're not selling stuff, and that's true. But first of all, they have employees that work for them that want to get paid, so ERP helps with that. But the main thing that's very important to them is what does the military have a lot of? The military has a lot of stuff. And I don't in any way pretend to be a military strategist, but from what I understand, one of the big things in, in military operations is where you stage things and where things are. Basically, if fighting breaks out in the Middle East and you need to bring people to that conflict. You can't just like drop people in the middle of the conflict and say, okay, have at it. They have to have weapons to fight with. They have to have tanks. They have to have ships that get them there. They have to be supported with weaponry. They have to have body armor and all of those things. The military has all kinds of stuff. It doesn't do us any good if the people are ready to go into the Middle East and the body armor is sitting at a warehouse in North Carolina. So the military has to keep track of very, very precisely what is where so that they can make sure that all around the globe things are, are platformed in such a way that if something breaks out in a particular area, they have ships or they have planes and they have resources there that they can respond to it. So the military is very concerned with the physical flow of their resources, whether we're talking aircraft, ships, weapons, bullets. You know, not going to do you a whole bunch of good if you, everybody has a gun, but nobody has bullets for their gun. So they've got to make sure all of those resources are where they need to be when they need to be there. That's the physical flow that an enterprise information system can, can help us manage. We have the data and document flow. This is the information related to the execution of the business processes. A customer order comes in and we memorialize that in a sales order document. 
and then the people in the warehouse begin to prepare the order and they use a picking slip to tell them what to go and get to put into the box to ship to this customer. When they ship it out, they put a, a, um, a slip inside of the box that says what's actually included in the shipment. There's a document that is used uh, to bill the customer, an invoice that gets sent. So we have all of this information that gets passed from step to step to step in the process that makes up the data and document flow. And then up here at the top we have the information flow. And this is similar to what I talked to you about a moment ago when we were talking about our data warehouse. This is now where we reflect on what's happened down here in these other two areas and we're looking at meta information related to the overall performance of things. How long did it take us to actually fulfill a customer order? Did we ever run out of inventory? Was there ever a time when something was needed for manufacturing but we didn't have it and so manufacturing was delayed? A lot of you have observed that that happens to you and that you're not running MRP with maximum efficiency and so your plant's sitting idle for a couple of days because you don't have the resources you need. Well, in the real world, that's the kind of stuff that can get people fired or certainly get people in a not very happy situation. So the information flow allows us to back up and look at all of this from a very big picture view and assess how well we are doing in the domain of these, of these other flows. But the key here is we bring all of this into a single computer system so we're all on the same page, we're all looking at things together, everything is in, in one spot. This quote came from a book I read a few years ago, um, Anticipating Change, Secrets Behind the SAP Empire. SAP was actually founded by five guys, one of whom is Hassel Plattner. The really interesting thing about these five guys is every one of them were computer scientists. None of them were business people, but they had this idea of creating software that would let a company run more efficiently. And in this book, they interview the people who founded the company and just had them reflect back on their work. And, and this quote, I, I think, is very interesting. I, I think the most profound effect R3 has had, and R3 is, is one of the SAP products that is, is a bit older at this point. It's the predecessor of what we've been using in lab. I think the most profound effect R3 has had is the general availability of real-time information. Within a company, somebody is fulfilling a task. The task ends. And all information that was affected by this task is available immediately in the new form. That means you can improve workflow significantly. In conventional organizations, it's a sequential process. You have to pass the work forward. Something changed and somebody else has to react to that. From the beginning, it was our idea that everyone could do everything at once. You would have access to current information wherever you were and could get everything that you wanted to know. So it's like in your company, you're playing ERP Sim and somebody on your team is in charge of setting prices. And she looks in the computer and can say, oh no, we're about to run out of blueberry muesli, I should raise the price of it. 
so that um, the people that want the last few boxes that we have are going to have to really pay a good price for it, and maybe that'll keep us from, from running out as quickly. But the key is they have that information available. She has that information available and can use that in our decision-making process. Now, notice what this quote goes on to say. You would have access to current information wherever you were and could get everything that you wanted to know. We had to struggle for years on end. People debated this and said that is not the right way of looking at things. So the idea here was they came up with this software and they said, here's software you can put in your company and everybody in the organization now is going to have all the information that they need to do their job better at their fingertips. And people looked at them and said, why would we want that to happen? That's not the way this should work. Now, when you think about that, chances are pretty good, you would say, well, if somebody needs the information and we have the information, why don't we give them the information? And the reason why you think that way is probably in large part due to this last sentence right here. All of you grew up in an era of the internet, of the World Wide Web, of open information. If you ever had a question, you could go to Google, type in that question, and hopefully uh, in short order work your way to at least a possible answer to that question. That's part of life now. You know, Google is instantaneous. Well, that's not the way business has always worked. And so when SAP went to companies and said, hey, we've got this new way of doing business that involves this idea of ERP, they invented ERP. What he's talking about is the very first ERP program that had been written. And they went to companies and said, hey, you can, you can tell us how you want to do your business processes and the software will help you with that. And all of the information will go into a single database and everybody will have information. And, and companies looked at them and, and literally said, why would we want that to happen? They, they didn't see it as being valuable. So the biggest challenge that they ran into, because they looked at this like computer science people. Computer science people is all about get the information out to people. You know, figure out what information is needed, get the information where it's needed, and, and help things run very, very efficiently and effectively. And business people looked at that and said, we don't see the value in that. And so they had to work very, very hard to convince companies that this actually did make sense. Now the good news is they were able to do that very, very effectively and so companies now have, have bought these systems and have integrated it and now they would not give those up. But realize the things that we have been talking about are not things that have been accepted as, as common practices for a very, very long period of time. So as we kind of close out our, we've just got a, last, a few last couple of things here to talk about in our time together today. What is it that companies use enterprise systems and, and ERP systems for? And I'll give you a couple of ideas, and then I want to see if you guys can come up with some things to add to our list. And I'm just going to start with, it helps companies, and let's try and figure out what, whoops, what it helps companies do. And I'll spot you a couple of these if I can get my pen back. All right, it helps companies. Um, I'm going to put down here define and manage.
manage. That's not how you spell manage. Not mange. Manage their business processes. If a company is going to employ an enterprise information system or an ERP system specifically, they've got to know how they want to run their company. So they've got to sit down as a company and decide, okay, this is the way we want to process customer orders. This is the way we want our warehouse to work. This is the way we want this to work. And they come up with their business processes and then they set about configuring the enterprise information system to support their business processes. So one of the things that we have to do to work with an enterprise system effectively is we've got to define our business processes and, and then it can help us manage them. It can help us capture and store process data. So as we execute these business processes we're talking about, it can help us capture that information and, and store it. And, and the great thing about this is it can do this automatically. An example would be what I mentioned before about Walmart. They scan your purchases at the cash register. They do that partly to know how much to charge you, but then partly to capture that information to know what they need to order from their suppliers. So it kind of happens automatically that we can capture this information. All right, well, I've given you a couple of things here. What do you think we could add to this list? What else would an enterprise system like we've been talking about, what else would it help a company do? And you don't have to give me something like brand new that no one's ever thought of before, but something that we don't have on our list here. Yes, sir. Ah, okay. Helps companies respond to market changes more quickly. Now, that is if we're working our systems effectively. It's kind of like with ERP SIM. Some of the teams, I think, are probably a lot better at seeing what's going on in the marketplace, excuse me, marketplace and saying, oh no, people aren't buying strawberry muesli anymore. Stop making that. You know, let's wait and see what happens. But for right now, make this other flavor instead. So yeah, for companies that are paying attention and are using the information at their disposal, it can help us respond to market changes much more quickly. Very good. What else? I mean, give me something else to put on the list here. Doesn't have to be earth shattering, but it can be. Okay, it can help companies manage inventory. Now that's a real nuts and bolts kind of thing, but it's a really important nuts and bolts kind of thing. You know, once again, your company in ERP SIM lives and dies or is successful or a failure based on your managing of your inventory. And that's reality for a lot of companies out there. So it helps companies manage inventory. What else? 
okay, gives flexibility. Or I'm also going to add to that opportunity to grow. So once we have an effective enterprise information system deployed in our organization, if we want to take on new opportunities, if we want to acquire a business and bring them in to be part of our organization, if we want to start selling new and different products, it becomes much easier for us to take on those kinds of opportunities if we have an enterprise information system that has automated what we're currently doing. So good. What else? It's a good list. Let me look at my list. I'll give you one more while you're thinking. Um, it helps companies monitor performance. Now this is kind of an interesting element here. Let's talk about this for a second. And I'm going to give you a term that perhaps you've seen before. Panopticon. Anyone ever heard of a panopticon before? You have? Where have you heard that before? Um, so the first thing you mentioned was Excellent. That's exactly right. There's one nuance, though, that I would add to that, and so let me amplify what was just said. A panopticon, this term, does harken back to application in prisons. Um, pan, you know, that's a, a prefix we often see for, you know, describes everything. Pan is all or everything. And opticon, seeing. So we're talking about basically all seeing. Now, what's interesting about a panopticon is this. This came from prisons where they discovered that in prisons that sometimes the, the inmates would get unruly. And so how do you control unruly inmates is, first of all, they realized we can't have enough guards. You know, if you had a guard everywhere that a prisoner might get unruly, you'd have to have a whole lot of guards there, and that's just not feasible. So they started putting up cameras everywhere. And so the prisoners knew that wherever they went, they were being observed. Now, the really interesting thing, though, about a panopticon, going back to the prison scenario, was it really wasn't even that important whether someone was actually actively watching all of those cameras. Just the presence of the camera let the prisoner know you might be being watched, and so that kept the prisoner on good behavior. And so the idea behind a panopticon is if you put people in an environment where they know that they at least might be observed, then the theory is they tend to be on their best behavior. That's why stores will often put security cameras all over the store. Partly it's so that if someone does steal something, they have a record of it. But partly they know that just by putting the cameras everywhere, People will see that, and it will deter people from shoplifting because you think, oh, someone might be watching me. And in fact, in some stores where they can't afford cameras, um, you can buy fake cameras that look just like the real thing but don't actually record anything. And you can put those up as a way of deterring people from stealing from you even though you're not actually watching what they're doing because the cameras don't work. Well. 
a very controversial element of an enterprise information system is the ability that it gives us to very, very closely monitor employees' performance. Now, if we're salespeople and we go out and make a sale throughout the day, every day, we know that at the end of the week someone's going to be totaling up all that we sold and if we sold less than all of the other salespeople we can expect that we're going to you know get a coaching moment with the sales manager or maybe we're going to have to do more training or whatever have you salespeople just kind of know that that's part of a job but when we roll out an enterprise information system then everyone who interacts with the system really everything that they do is logged inherently by the system. An example of this is my father um, is retired now, but a few decades ago he worked on worked in a travel office in a military base. And whenever the military people needed to get from point A to point B and they didn't travel via military transport, they flew airplanes, uh, just like regular passengers. And so my father worked in the office where they would book that. He wasn't military, but they had the military contract. Well, he went to work in this office, and he was like the second in command. The boss did not do anything. Um, that wasn't supposed to be the boss's job. The boss was supposed to be doing the same thing everybody else did, but the boss would show up an hour and a half late, and then he would go and play golf, and then he would like leave for lunch, and basically he was never, ever around. And after my dad had worked there for about six months, one day people from headquarters came in to interview all the employees. And of course, everybody was real nervous, like, what's going on? Why are they here to interview us? And so nobody really knew what was going on. And they called my dad in, and they started asking him questions. And he was, like, really nervous. You know, why are they asking me all these questions? And they said, don't worry. You know, you're not in any kind of trouble. But as we look in the system, it's very clear to us that you're doing all the work and my dad's boss who his name was Ernie Ernie doesn't seem to be doing anything and and basically you know they didn't really have to ask my dad if that was true or not because they could just look in the system and they could see okay on a given day you're booking 150 people for travel and your boss is booking three people you know late in the day and so it's very very obvious and so they fired him they fired Ernie and promoted my dad to run the office and and it worked out well for everybody worked there because now the work was more equitably spread out, spread out. So whenever we bring an enterprise information system into an organization, inherently for good or for evil, it gives us the ability to monitor employee performance because everything that happens can be seen by the system. And that's very important for the sake of security. You know, we don't want someone going into something where they shouldn't be going into something. Company I worked at before, this is not here at ETSU, but um, employed some of our computer students as um, overnight computer operators. And it, it got to be kind of a running joke because the students would go over there and they'd work the night shift and apparently it was very boring in the night shift. And so after they'd been there about six weeks, inevitably they would get in trouble and they'd get fired. And the biggest thing they would get in trouble for was going into the database and looking up everybody's salaries. And the system logged that. And so sure enough, somebody would come in and they'd check out the logs and they'd say, oh look, last Tuesday Bob went in and looked at the salary information 
fire Bob, let's bring somebody else in here. It used to be like clockwork. And we tell the students, don't look at the salary information, none of your business. Two months later, they do that and they get fired. You know, systems log everything that happens, which if you're not doing anything wrong, you don't really have to worry about that. Um, but still, a lot of people don't like the idea of, of the system monitoring everything that's going on. So an enterprise information system can help a company monitor performance. And if we look at that positively, that means an employee who's not doing well can get coaching or can get training to improve their performance. We're not you know, looking at this as if someone's not doing what they're supposed to. We can punch them in the face and fire them. You know, We could treat this as a positive thing as an aspect of that monitoring. Anything else you can think of to add to this list? I guess the biggest thing, and we've talked about it before, but I'll, I'll just add it here for the sake of, of completeness, helps companies make better decisions. You know, that is the bottom line in so much of this. You know, if you can envision you're working in a company and you're in, you're in a big room with all the other IT professionals and there's 50 of you there. And along the wall, there's all the big computers that your company uses. And the CEO walks in and just says to everybody, so why should I keep you here? What do you do for us as an organization? The answer that's going to resonate the most is, we manage the information to help you and other people in this company make better decisions. That's where we can justify the expenditures on IT because it helps make companies better through improved decision making. There's a lot of value that we can get from bringing an ERP system into our organization. Now, the reason why I have to put the word potential here is because there's no guarantees you're going to get this. How many of you are NASCAR fans? We don't have any NASCAR fans in this room? I am given that we're in the Tri-Cities and Bristol is what, like 45 minutes from here? How many of you have been to a race at Bristol? Okay, so I get you don't have to be a NASCAR fan. All right, so that's interesting. You go to the races, but you're not a NASCAR fan. So, okay, so what's that? Oh, you just like the social aspect of it. But now I'm surprised that a lot more of, well, I guess that's different at the ETSU football game, so never mind. But... Um, so if you go to a NASCAR race, and, and I am not a NASCAR expert either, um, so and it doesn't sound like any of you are going to be correcting me because none of you sound like NASCAR experts either, but my understanding is there's lots of rules and regulations about the making of a NASCAR car. You know, you can't like have jet-powered takeoff on your car, and you can't do other things that might give you an advantage because there's all of these rules. So when you get right down to it, if we were like to put NASCAR car A here and NASCAR car B here, we would see that they're almost identical. You know, one might have a slightly different suspension alignment. They might be running slightly different tires. But for the most part, they're almost going to be identical because of the rules that they all have to play by and the known best practices for the best kinds of cars to drive in certain conditions. So if all of the cars are equal and 
all of the drivers are equal, then that basically means whoever wins a given race is just totally random. And if you follow NASCAR, you know that that's not the case because there's certain drivers that win a lot of races, and then there's some drivers who never win races at all. They're all fundamentally driving the same car. So I would bet, although maybe I'm wrong about this, I would bet that if you took a driver who won a lot of races and took him out and put him in the car of the guy who finished 10th, that he would do better than 10th driving that car. And he might even win the race with that car because it's not about the car, it's about the driver's ability. Well, the same thing is true when we're talking about technology in business. You can have two companies that have the exact same technology and get wildly different results. And in fact, just like I would imagine is true in NASCAR, you could have two drivers and one of them could spend a lot more money on his car and still not do as well as another driver who has more ability but spent less money on his car. So it's not about how much we spend and what we have, it's about how we use it. And so ERP is the same when we bring it into an organization. Some of the things that it can do for us is it can promote organizational discipline. Now this goes back to what we were talking about with business processes. We define how we do things in our organization. And we always do it that way. That's the way we fulfill customer orders. When someone calls us on the phone and says they'd like to establish an account with us, we always process that the exact same way. Doesn't matter what employee does it, it doesn't matter you know, what the attributes of the person is. We have a process that tells us how we are going to do things. So it promotes organizational discipline. Have you ever had this before? I used to work in, when I was in high school, I worked in a restaurant, and one of the things that used to happen every day was the waiters and waitresses used to have to make the tea, the iced tea. And depending upon who made the tea would determine how sweet it was. And there were some people that made really, really sweet iced tea, and there were other people that made not so sweet iced tea. And depending upon who made it one day versus next, it would taste very differently. Well, customers don't like that. They want it always to be the same. In business, we want things to always be the same. So the idea here is, in our restaurant, if we wanted organizational discipline, we would say, okay, this is the way we make the iced tea. It's a five-step process. Here's how much of different ingredients you use. Here's how you mix it together. This is the way we make iced tea, always and forever. Everybody do it this way. And if we do that, then we have consistent quality, and we're going to have a disciplined organization. McDonald's came into prominence as a restaurant many, many years ago, not so much because they had really great hamburgers and fries and milkshakes, but because every McDonald's you went to was exactly the same as every other one. You know, you might live in Tennessee and you take a vacation to South Carolina and you could go into McDonald's in South Carolina and it would be just like the one in Tennessee. McDonald's has kind of gotten away from that, but in the very early days of their chain, that was one of the keys to their success. So an ERP system promotes organizational discipline. It gives us 
better coordination of activities. We've talked about this. This is nothing new. We all know what our responsibilities are. We all have access to the same information. We're all on the same page here. And so our activities can be much better coordinated. We have improved information flow. Now, that's internally, but then also with customers and vendors. I don't know if you've ever had this experience. It's largely gone away thanks to technology. But I can recall in the past placing an order with a company and then calling them on the phone and asking them about my order and then basically saying, yeah, we don't know what the status of your order is. Um, we took it in, but no, we don't really know when you're going to get it except sometime in the future. Well, we don't have that anymore. We have improved information flow. Um, better support for global operations. A company can now expand internationally much more easily thanks to the support of technology. And we can roll out our business processes and our business activities from one location to the next to the next and because we have defined ways of doing things, and because we have defined information flows, we can now grow our organization much larger and still operate it very, very efficiently and very effectively. Faster transaction processing. You know, we're now at the point where these are all things that we have talked about to this point. We're just kind of summarizing a lot of things here. Um, we can get orders out to customers quicker. We can onboard new employees quicker. We can create invoices quicker. We can get money out to our vendors quicker. Everything that we do can be done much faster in our organization as, as a result of this. So there's a lot of good things that ERP can bring to an organization. But there are some real challenges. Now, let me throw this question out there for you. What do you think would be the challenge of implementing an ERP system in a company that has not had one to this point? And as an aside, let me say, there are still companies out there in that boat. Um, I had a student taking this class about two years ago that was working for a company that just right then when he was taking the course, they were evaluating whether they wanted to buy an ERP system or not. So there still are companies out there in this boat. What are some of the challenges? Yes, sir. Learning curve. And this is really, it's a great answer. And, and this is, we really have several different types of learning curve. You have the learning curve of the users, the salespeople, the people that work in the warehouse, the accountants. All of them are going to have to learn this new system. But then you also have the learning curve among the IT professionals who have to support the system and have to be able to keep it running on an ongoing basis. And so there's a tremendous learning curve associated with this. What else? Yes, ma'am. Time and cost. The time to implement a system 
is not trivial. I am working with a company right now that is not looking at bringing in ERP, but is looking at enhancing their current ERP infrastructure to move to a newer technology. They anticipate that the cost of this, not counting manpower, just looking at software licensing, hardware cost, and so on, will be in excess of $20 million. And they already have the system. They're just looking at enhancing it. The time, they're working really hard to try and come up with a plan that would let them do this in 18 months. They're thinking, though, more likely it would be 24 or 30 months to actually accomplish this. So time and cost cannot be underestimated. What else? Data migration. We have information spread out who knows how many different places. And so we've got to get all of that information from all of these different silos into our one ERP system. And that's one reason why things like this take extended periods of time. Great. What else? It's a great list. Yes, sir. Okay. Okay, so this is the issue of, of configuration. What do we change? I'll put it this way. What do we change and what do we change in the system? You know, sometimes it's easier for us to just say, let's go back to my my iced tea making analogy. You know, we all have to agree that there are five steps. And if we're all going to get the same results, we really have to use the same ingredients and follow the exact same process. You might like to mix the sugar with hot water. Someone else might like to just dump the sugar in the hot tea and stir it around that way. It kind of doesn't matter which of those ways we do it, but for the sake of uniformity, we need to pick one and always do it that way. Well, if we buy a software package that says, you do something this way, we might look at that and say, well, that's not the way we currently do it, but we could do it that way. Let's start doing it the way the software wants us to do it. Other times we might look at it and say, well, the software by default wants us to do it this way. We don't want to do it that way. Let's configure the software to do it the way we want to do it. So we have a lot of decisions around this area of, of configuration. This is great. What else? I'll add one here. Complexity. This is not trivial. If any of you were at the session last week when Bjorn Berg came and talked about some of his experiences in, in this space, he talked about companies, and he had some, some slides up where he showed where you had companies that were running 30 different computer systems, doing a wide variety of different things, all focused around ERP and enterprise information systems. The complexity here is, is outrageous. The complexity is to the point that I've heard a lot of people say that with SAP ERP, you will never find anyone who is an expert on that entire package. It's just too complex. There are some people that are really good at the financial accounting part of it. 
There are some people that are really good at materials management. There are some people that are really good at warehousing. And they know everything there is to know about materials management, but they don't know anything, for example, perhaps about warehousing. So you, it, it's because the system is so complex. And if we drew a circle here, you know, by the time you finish, if you take the three different classes that we offer here at ETSU, if this circle represents everything there is to know about ERP, you probably know like that much of it, okay? But you shouldn't feel bad about that because if we talk to someone who had been working with SAP ERP professionally for their whole career, they might know that much of it. And they'll readily admit the more they know, the more they realize, the more they learn, the more they realize how much they don't know. It's incredibly complex. Now, here's what's great about this, and I'll put it here on challenges of implementing ERP. Part of the cost, part of the expense here is, is the people-related expense. You don't buy a really, really fancy car and take it to Jiffy Lube to have the oil changed. You don't spend all of this money on an enterprise information system and, and turn any old moron loose to manage it for your company. So the people that you're going to employ to manage and update and configure these systems, they're going to be pretty expensive. So that's why there's a lot of money that we're looking at here. But that's a challenge for an organization because they've got to come up with the money. But it's a very good thing for us because you're going to hopefully be on the receiving end of, of that money. Um, let me look at my list here. Um, employee resistance. Sometimes you have employees who, and I realize that for those of you in this room that are all computer people of one sort or another, you might not relate to this. But there are a lot of employees that, that they don't like computers and, and they're resisting this just on the basis of it being a computer now that's going to intrude on your job. A number of years ago here at ETSU, ETSU brought in an ERP package. And interestingly enough, a lot of people that worked in the OIT department as well as in various offices around the university elected to retire. And what hastened their retirement was they didn't want to learn the new system. They thought it was going to be a hassle. It was going to be very complicated. It was going to change their job in a way that they didn't like. And so they selected to leave the organization. So you will find employee resistance. A lot of time this employee resistance comes from employees who think that they're going to lose their job because of the technology. Um, Foxmeyer Drugs had a very interesting situation. Probably none of you have ever heard of Foxmeyer Drugs. It's because they don't exist anymore because they were run out of business, largely in part to challenges they ran into with implementing their ERP system. Their warehouse employees thought that when the company brought in their new ERP package that that meant all the warehouse people were going to lose their job. And so the warehouse people set about sabotaging the company. And specifically what they started doing was when they were shipping out customer orders, they would just throw random products in the boxes, which when you're a pharmaceutical company can really get you in a lot of trouble when you're shipping controlled substances to, you know, granny who just takes whatever's in the box. Um, and they, they lost literally 
tens of millions of dollars in inventory to just their warehouse workers just throwing stuff in boxes and shipping it out, not fulfilling customer orders correctly. It, it turned into a huge nightmare. It turned into lawsuits. It eventually wound up running the company out of business, and it was largely because of employee sabotage. And the fact is the warehouse employees would not have lost their job. The company just never took the time to communicate with them. Um, what's that? Yeah. They did. It, it's kind of like you cut your nose off to spite your face. I, I don't know how they thought they were solving a problem, but I guess on some level maybe they had fun doing it. I don't know. But yeah, I, I guess. But they didn't have to. You know, that's it's. It was just a bad situation all the way around. Um, disruption to business. You know, it's it's going to inherently be disruptive. One of my favorite stories, I think you will read about this in your textbook, but I don't know if you've read about it yet. When Hershey's implemented SAP ERP, they thought the project was going to take them a certain amount of time, and it took it like three times longer. And as a result, they missed a very important time of the year. What do you think for Hershey's, what's like their big, their big, Valentine's Day is not a bad idea, but Hershey's doesn't really do Valentine's Day. Halloween. Halloween is like big deal. Well, they were they were implementing their ERP system, and as a result, they couldn't manage their factories well, and they didn't have chocolate ready in time for Halloween. You know, and it's kind of like if you're Santa and you don't have the toys ready for Christmas Day. You know, people don't go to the store the week after Halloween and stock up on all the little bitty bars of, of Hershey's bars. And so one year, they missed Halloween because they didn't have stock in the stores, and it cost them tens of millions of dollars in lost sales. So it can be very, very disrupting to your business. Um, this is a pretty good list. The ideas you guys gave me here really, really... Um, captured all of the main points here. So, end of our discussion here, two-edged sword of ERP. ERP in and of itself does not guarantee success, which is another reason why companies need to hire employees with expertise. The last thing in the world we want to do is throw tens of millions of dollars at something and have it not pay off, have it be a failure. So ERP in and of itself does not guarantee success because it's not the system. Just like in NASCAR, it's, it's not the car. It's more about the driver and the pit crew and the support team than it is the car itself. ERP, it's not about the software. It's not about the hardware. But it's how we in our organization manage the system and leverage the information and use it to improve our decision making. You can have two companies, and those two companies could have the exact same technology, and one of them could succeed, and one of them could fail. You know, and, and we see this in a lot of domains. When you get right down to it, there's a lot of similarities between Walmart and Kmart, but yet there's no doubt as to which of those two companies is, is more successful. Well, we see the same thing play out that way in the world of technology here, Companies invest in this technology because it is something that can give them significant advantage, but that advantage is never guaranteed. We've got to figure out how to implement it in our organization in such a way that gives us that. And that will wrap up.
our discussion here on fundamentals of enterprise information systems. 